Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The Gospel lesson for today is from Judges, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. This can be found on page 251 of your Pew Bible. The story of Samson, the last of the judges, begins with the Israelites in exile as a result of their disobedience toward God. Although Samson himself was deeply flawed by sin, he was set apart from birth and used by God to set in motion the deliverance of God's people prefiguring mankind's one true Savior, Jesus Christ. A reading from Judges chapter 13, beginning with the first verse. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you will conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Last summer, my fiancé Graham and I went to Branson, Missouri for vacation. And one of the items on his bucket list was to go on an off-road UTV adventure tour. Now, I had never been in a UTV before, and I didn't know what to expect. Our tour guide took us to our off-road utility vehicle, and it was completely covered in dust. There was dust even coming out of the glove compartment. And the first thought that came to my mind was, thank God I didn't wear white today. (laughs) But once we got in the vehicle, our guide led us through all kinds of terrains with steep inclines and declines, ridge side trails, and even water crossings. It was the roughest ride that I had ever been on. And the whole time, Graham, who was driving our vehicle, was having the time of his life eating and hawing like a cowboy, while I was next to him, holding onto the safety reel like my life depended on it. The roads kept getting rougher and rougher, and we were getting dustier and dustier. By the time we were done, we were covered in dust from head to toe. I had dust on my face, dust on my lashes, dust in my hair. I even had dust up my nose. Dust was everywhere. It was the filthiest that I had ever been, and I could not wait to get home and take a shower. Was there ever a time for you when you were that dirty and covered in dust? 
Think back to a time and hold that image in your mind. Can you recall how filthy and grimy you felt? And just how refreshing it was once you got in the shower. Well, in many ways, sin is like being covered in dust. Though outwardly we may appear fine and clean, on the inside, our hearts are covered in dust and we find ourselves in a mess. As we go through this journey called life, it leads us through all kinds of crazy trails with inclines and declines where sin is rampant. And just like dust, we pick it up along the way. Whether it was sin that we participated in or sin that was done to us by others. Sadly, that's the reality of living in a fallen world. It's that we run into the effects of sin all the time. Like when you hear on the news about the ongoing war in Ukraine and how it has killed thousands of innocent lives already, you realize that sin, just like dust, is pervasive. It's everywhere, and it's in everything. Sometimes when I think about what's happening in the world, my heart is grieved. And I could feel the weight of that dust, that debris of sin settling over me. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling a little dusty yourself from just being out there this week. Well, I've got good news for you. In today's text, we're going to see that God offers a way to cleanse us from our dusty, sinful hearts. Starting today, we are in a new sermon series titled Grace for the Generations, where we will look at stories in the Bible that show how God's faithfulness and grace comes to people of all generations in unexpected ways. To give you an idea of where we are in today's story, Joshua, who led Israel into the promised land, along with that entire generation of people, died. And a new generation came up after them that did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And as you read through the book of Judges, you're going to see this reoccurring pattern play out, where Israel sins and falls into moral, dis- moral corruption. God delivers them into the hand of their enemies. Israel cries out for help, and God rescues them through a judge, an appointed military political leader who delivers Israel from their enemies. And what you're going to discover as you read the book of Judges is that our story is actually not that much different from Israel's story. So let's read what happens in Judges chapter 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Once again, Israel went astray and did all kinds of evil, which involved child sacrifices and sexually perverted cult practices, worshiping foreign gods. How did they come to this point of complete and utter moral depravity? Well, as you read the book of Judges, you're going to see this repeated line come up. And it says that in those days... There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
I believe that this is what led to Israel's demise. They did what was right in their own eyes. When Israel first occupied the promised land, they didn't drive out the Canaanites like God instructed them to. It actually says in Judges chapter 1 that they put the Canaanites into forced labor instead of driving them out. I wonder why they did that. Maybe they thought they could benefit from the forced labor to help their new and growing economy. Or maybe the people grew weary from fighting and thought, well, as long as they're subdued, that's good enough. Let's just not deal with them any longer. Whatever the reason, what we're going to find is that partial obedience is disobedience. I'll say that again. Partial obedience is simply disobedience. If God tells us to do something, we must do it to completion. We can't just do one part and not the other. Imagine if your your spouse asked you to pick up milk on the way home, and you come home and you say, hi, honey, I went to the grocery store, but I decided not to get the milk. I picked up beer instead. (laughs) Well, that wouldn't do much good now, would it? especially if you needed milk. Similarly, in Judges chapter 2, God doesn't give Israel credit for accomplishing only half of their mission and occupying the promised land. But he rebukes them for their disobedience for not driving out the Canaanites and says that because they failed to follow his instructions, the Canaanites would become thorns on their sides and their gods would become a snare. Because Israel relied on their own judgment and did what seemed right in their own eyes, they were short-sighted. And they failed to see the long-term repercussions of their actions. Friends, this is what happens when we do what we think is right in our own eyes instead of doing what God says is right. As humans, we are extremely limited in our ability to see and discern what is good and bad. But God, who is omniscient, sees things from the beginning to the end, and he knows what's best for us. So why then is it so tempting for us to do what we think is right in our own eyes? Well, there's something about our dusty, sinful human condition where we want to be in charge. We want to be our own gods, and we want to be in control of our own lives. We think we know what's best for us, not God. And at times, we even think we know what's best for others. And it's not until we find ourselves in a really dusty, messy situation with no way out, just like the Israelites who were oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years, that it finally dawns on us, we need God, and we need to be cleansed of our sins. So how can we be cleansed if we're so prone to doing what we think is right? God, being full of love and mercy, offers a solution for our dusty, sinful hearts. And it comes in the most unexpected way. 
Let's pick up the story starting in verse 2. You can read along with me. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, for those of you who are hearing this word Nazarite for the very first time, it comes from the Hebrew word Nazir, which means to be separated or consecrated. The Nazarite vow first appears in Numbers chapter 6. It was a vow taken by individuals who wanted to dedicate themselves to God. The vow was completely voluntary, open to both men and women, and it took place for a limited period of time. Besides Samson, other Nazarites that we know of in the Bible were the prophet Samuel and John the Baptist. But what was unique about Samson's vow was that his period of abstinence wasn't set, to a, a, wasn't set to a number of limited days or weeks, but it was for his whole lifetime. Now, there were three main conditions that needed to be met in order for a person to be a Nazarite. First, you couldn't drink any alcohol. So if you were a wine lover, that had to be put aside. Second, you couldn't come into close contact with the dead. That means that if a family member died all of a sudden during the vow, you couldn't even attend their funeral. And the third condition was that one could not cut their hair during the duration of the vow. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, all of this sounds really strange. What does cutting your hair have anything to do with God or being set apart? Well, back in the ancient world, it was not uncommon for people to shave their heads and dedicate their hair to deities because hair, along with blood, were considered as one of the main symbols of a person's life essence. To them, life was in the blood and life was in the hair. Perhaps that's the reason why later on in Samson's story, when his hair is cut, he loses his supernatural strength. Now, we don't offer our hair or our blood to God as an act of worship today, but I think we still perceive them as symbols of life. Think about how donating blood can literally save a life in someone at a hospital, or how we can donate our hair these days to make wigs for patients recovering from cancer. Or think about those shampoo commercials that you often see on television. There's always a woman who has silky hair who's tossing it around, and it's always in slow motion. <laughs> There's something about having this full head of shiny, voluminous hair that communicates youth, vibrance, and life. For Samson, his hair was literally his source of vitality. But even with this special gift, if you continue reading the next several chapters, you will see that he was far from perfect as he breaks all three conditions of the Nazarite vow. I encourage you to read about his life in your spare time. It's really fascinating. 
Samson, who was this destined to be this holy, consecrated vessel for God, fell short and was a deeply flawed man. He was a sinner covered in dust, a womanizer, and a sinful nature led him astray. But Samson wasn't the only judge who fell short. Actually, all the other judges in the Bible fell short, and pretty much every single person that came after them. You see, that's the reason why God had to send his own son into the world, because there wasn't a single person out there who could fulfill his commandments perfectly. And when we read about the story of Samson and Judges, it is a foreshadowing of a better deliverer and a better, more righteous judge who would come to rescue us and cleanse us from our sin once and for all. Jesus, just like Samson, was set apart from the womb. His mother Mary had a very similar experience as Samson's mother, receiving an amazing prophecy from an angel about his unique purpose to save the sins of mankind. And although scripture doesn't tell us whether Jesus ever took a Nazareth vow for any part of his life, remember what I just said earlier about how the ancient world believed that hair and blood were the main symbols of a person's life essence? Samson's hair, his life essence, was cut as a result of his own sin. But Jesus poured out his life blood as the result of our sin. God's solution to a filthy, dusty, sin-entrenched world was by sending something pure, holy, and set apart, his very own son. It says in Isaiah 1, 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Jesus, who is pure and blameless, willingly took on the dust, the filth, the stain of our sin upon his own body. And as he hung there on the cross, he poured out his precious blood, his purifying, sanctifying blood, and it washed away the filthiness of our sin so that we would be made clean. I don't know about you, but even after being a Christian for many years, I am still in need of the cleansing power of Jesus' blood every single day because I run into sin all the time living in this fallen world. Not long ago, I was in a situation where a person was very angry and they came at me with accusation after accusation. I didn't expect such hostility and it completely threw me off guard. I felt like I was being slimed and vomited on by the hurtful words. And for days, the enemy of my soul kept replaying those words in my mind, and I was feeling the weight of condemnation and shame. And every time that happened, I prayed for forgiveness and for blessing over that person, because Jesus tells us in Luke 6, 28, to bless those who curse you. 
But if I'm really honest with you, it was really hard to do. And I had to do it again and again and again. And after several days, I prayed for Jesus' cleansing power of his blood to wash over me, and I was set free from those condemning thoughts of the enemy. God even gave me compassion for that person and showed me that they were deeply hurting and reacted out of their own pain. There's a well-known saying that hurting people hurt people. As we go through life, we're going to bump into some hurting people who's got sin in their lives. And sin, just like dust, is pervasive. It's everywhere. And it touches everyone it encounters. Whether it's our sin or someone else's sin, we're going to pick it up somewhere along the way. But thank God that every time we do, Jesus has made a way for us to be clean and whole again. As we close, I'd like to extend an invitation for anyone here this morning who needs to be cleansed and washed from the dust, the debris, the weight of sin. As we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table this morning, I want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there's any sin that might have settled over you. Whether it's sin that you've committed, or maybe it's the lingering effect of someone else's sin. The blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse both. There's some of you in this room today who's still carrying the weight of something that happened years ago, and the enemy of your soul keeps bringing that back as a way to torment you and hold you back. And if that's you, you can be set free today. No matter what you've done or what has been done to you, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus' blood, the purest, most powerful substance to have ever spilled this earth, can cleanse you of even the filthiest of sin. And he can make you white as snow. Every stain of sin has been washed away. And we are sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.